Well, happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. Uh, I'm glad to see a lot of you guys here. Uh, I'm glad to see everyone here um, at St. Mark Church. Our second service here at St. Mark Church is called The Eight, which we are jumping into part two of our series called Immeasurable. I said something kind of uh, insensitive last week that I understand why some people might be offended by what I said or how I started last week's talk. I said, I don't understand why everybody would not want Christianity to be true. I have a hard time understanding why everyone would not want it to be true. And I get it. I, it's a very insensitive thing. Because if I had the upbringing that you had, maybe I would not want to be Christian either. Maybe if I, if I was you know, raised in this direction or if I went to a church like that you grew up, maybe I would want to walk away from, from, from the church or walk away from God. And I get it. And I know it sounds kind of insensitive. But there is a huge difference between, between I don't believe it's true and I don't want it to be true. And when I say Christianity, I'm talking about the most purest sense of Christianity. I'm talking about first century Christianity. The most purest sense that was so irresistible that completely rocked the first century world. It completely changed philosophy and how everyone approached life once they understood who Jesus is. There's a big difference between I don't believe it's true. The people that say I don't believe it's true, maybe they just haven't had that right, that right encounter, that right uh, you know, relationship, that right you know, time for them to come to church where they haven't had that, that, that certain book, that certain conversation that maybe had impacted them. So there's a group that says I don't believe it's true, and that's a huge difference between saying I don't want it to be true. Because at the center of, of, of what Christianity is in the center of what made it so irresistible is a word called grace as a word called grace our first core value here at st mark church is come as you are come as you are and the description that we have of 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 that description of that first core value is people who are nothing like jesus gravitated toward him people who are nothing like jesus liked jesus People who are nothing like Jesus gravitated toward him because there was something about him that made him so appealing, so interesting, so irresistible. And the center of that was grace. For a lot of us, it's hard to understand what grace is, and it can only be experienced when there is a relationship. It's only, it's only based on a relationship. And when that relationship is imbalanced, where someone is above another, where, where there, there, there's not a balance in the relationship, that's the only time where grace is experienced. Grace is what we crave the most when our guilt is exposed, that we, caught, look, we got caught looking at this, we got caught saying this, we got caught with this in our room, then what we desire more than anything is grace at the time. But it is so hard to extend grace to others. Sometimes we'll say, oh, well, well, he deserves that, or she deserves that, you know, they, they ask for it. We want justice. But when we do something wrong, man, we want some grace. But it is super hard. It is so uncomfortable to extend grace to others it is so refreshing to receive it oh thank god but it's super hard to give it it's disturbing to give it something that we take tremendous pride in in our ancient faith is something called apostolic succession something called apostolic succession where we can trace that in our Coptic Orthodox Church, we can trace the origins of, the tr of this church through various and such a wide array of manuscripts that our church can trace back to the disciples 
to St. Mark, who was just a young guy, then we can trace back from St. Mark, the author of one of the four Gospels of Jesus, that we can trace a, a direct lineage from him being an apostle and, 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 and everyone that succeeded him uh, all the way to the head of the church that we have today. And we take tremendous pride in that. One of the, the inaudible prayers that the priest prays when we celebrate the divine liturgy, which is our ancient form of worship, is that the priest prays these words. You have given the apostles the gift of your immeasurable grace. That the priest, right before one of the readings of the epistles during the liturgy, the priest prays, Lord, you have given the apostles the gift of your grace that cannot be measured. Like you have given something to the, to the apostles. You took ordinary guys, sinful guys, broken guys, and you empowered them to change the world. You have given them something that's immeasurable. You have given them that, and they have continued to give that to others, and they have continued to change the world by passing down what they have received from Jesus. And we are called to do the same. I'm paraphrasing, but the priest is praying, Lord, just as you have given that immeasurable grace and that power to the early, to, to the early Christians and to the apostles, we ask that you continue to give that to us today because we are part of that same lineage that we take tremendous pride in. And this is why this series is called Immeasurable, because it's a word, like, it's, it's hard for us to, to grasp that word, because we always love to know, are, are, you, are you, you know, from this school or from that school, are you Republican or you Democrat? We love to, like, label things as either this or that. And this causes a lot of tension. But there's some things that cannot be measured. And one thing that cannot be measured is what Jesus gave to those 12 disciples and what those 12 disciples gave to others that is the thread of our apostolic Succession. Grace is something is we don't deserve. It's something that we cannot earn. And it's something that is unearnable. It's unearned and it's unearnable to receive this grace. And like I said, it is only experienced in a relationship. I know it's hard, it's even hard to articulate or describe what grace is. It seems like a very churchy word, grace. But it's hard for us to grasp it. But I would like to share uh, one story uh, of what, that helps us understand what grace is. Another reason why grace might be hard for us to grasp is because maybe many of us grew up in a church that's all truth. Thou should do this, thou should not do this, and we just grew up truth, 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 truth. But it's hard for us to understand the balance of that, which is grace. And it's so hard for us to grasp that. This is why one of the first disciples, the, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, who wrote the fourth gospel of Jesus, name is John, that when he decided to, to articulate who Jesus is to him, who Jesus is that changed his life, he said that this man, who is God, is 100% grace and 100% truth. This is such an uncomfortable feeling for someone to be 100% grace and 100% truth. For, them to, for one person to embody both makes everyone uncomfortable. To the point that the first century politicians and first century uh, church, uh, religious leaders couldn't take it. But they ended up crucifying the one who embodies grace and truth together. Jesus never diluted truth. And he never turned down grace. One story I would like to share is something that's recorded by St. Luke. An apostle that took that took a comprehensive uh, study and research to write down the records of Jesus' life. 
And this is what he said of one day as he was walking with Jesus. He records this. Jesus entered Jericho and was only passing through. Like he was, he was going, he was just, it just happened that he's having to pass through Jericho. It's not part of the plan. It's not part of his stop. He's just passing through the city. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the, 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 the boss. He was the chief tax collector. And he was rich. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So just to give you a cultural context, Zacchaeus, for him to be the chief tax collector, that means he's the top dog. Like there are tons of people that report to him. And now he makes his living is taking, you know, the taxes from people, but then like pushing them to give him even more. And he would actually even end up stealing more from them for him to pocket So he was not a very popular guy. And so he was not just a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. But like many of us, he was a little bit curious about who this Jesus man was. He's just, is he a really cool guy? Is he God? I've heard some rumors around town in Jericho. I've heard some rumors at the local Starbucks in Jericho. I want to see if this guy is legit, if this guy is really God or not. So like many of us, he was curious. So he wanted to see, but because he was short, he needed to do something that's a little bit awkward. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. It's kind of awkward for a grown man to climb a tree. It's even more awkward to see a grown man climbing a tree dressed like me. So you have this old man wearing something like me, climbing up a tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And I'm sure at this moment, St. Luke does not record this, but I'm sure at this moment, everyone was like, yeah, Jesus, get him. Pull down, tell him to come down. Tell him what he deserves. He deserves justice. He deserves truth. He deserves what he, he knows what he's doing wrong from stealing from the people. Give it to him, Jesus. Yeah, tell him. And everyone's waiting. And Zacchaeus comes down in front of Jesus. And then Jesus says, let's have a house, let's have a house party. I must stay at your house today. Call your friends, send out a group text. We're getting together. We're having a house party. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. Isn't this supposed to be like the respected rabbi who's claiming to be God? Like, and, and there's, he's just passing through Jericho. He pulls him, and instead of trying to discipline him, he tells him, hey, tell me the way to your house. Let's, let's have a house party. All the people could not grasp to see this and made them uncomfortable and made it, it was very unsettling. But what they experienced was grace and they couldn't understand it. And it made them feel uncomfortable to see Jesus respond to Zacchaeus this way. It's one thing to, to, to talk with him. It's not a thing to give him a time of day. It's not a thing to say for, 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 for you to go to his house. And all the people are probably kind of shocked I mean, think about it. Like, this is a huge parade. Jesus walking through Jericho, and everyone is, like, holding up signs. Yay, Jesus, you're the best. And everyone's so excited just, just to get a glimpse of him. And out of everyone there, all the good people, all the good people, that Jesus points out, a short little guy, to come down and says, hey, where's your house? An early Christian named St. Augustine, who was, like I mentioned in, in today's sermon and the liturgy, 
He was a thug. He was a gangster. His name is St. Augustine. And he said this around the year 390 in modern-day Algeria. So as he's, as he's reading this, this event that occurred with this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus, he ends up writing this around the year 390 in modern-day Algeria. He says, grace is poured out. Like St. Augustine is reading this, and he's saying, grace was poured out. And faith started to work through Jesus' love. Grace was poured out. And faith started to happen in this man Zacchaeus because of Jesus pouring out his love. And Zacchaeus' life was never the same because he was overwhelmed, kind of confused on understanding, grasping this grace. Why would Jesus waste his time? I'm just curious to see who he is. And now he's coming to my house, and his life was never the same from that, mo- from that moment. Jesus loved to speak through stories. He loved, everyone loves story time, all right? My, at least my daughter does. And adults, we like story time as well. Everyone loved stories. But you know what? I forgot to mention, before I get to a story that Jesus said, I want to share a story of one of my first encounters of me understanding grace. I completely forgot about this. I just found out the details of the story literally two weeks ago. So it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but hilarious all at the same time. So I was in second grade. And I, I, I'm not good academically. You can ask my parents, I'm the worst. Like I barely got through uh, dental school through the skin of my teeth, no pun intended. So in second grade, I did not do good. I did not get a good grade in school. And like I'm on the school bus and I'm like, I know my parents are gonna give it to me when I come back with a report card, like with this grade. I don't, I don't know what it was. And I do, I do remember doing this because I was so nervous. I took wine out and changed the grade. Yeah. Yeah, your priest did that. And this is a true story. I came home, and obviously I thought I was smooth. My parents would never know, whatever. And my parents were upset with me. And, and like, I, remember, I remember seeing their face, them being upset. And I just found out this out literally two weeks ago, and I could not believe my mom told me this. My parents were so upset, they didn't know what to do. So what did they do? They called the bishop, and they set an appointment with the bishop <laughs> of complaining that their son, you know, was, you know, was, was writing a report card. This bishop happened to be the same person that ordained me as, as a priest. That's the weird part. So they sit with Bishop Yusuf, and, and my mom told me that my, the bishop started laughing at what I did. Um, I'm not sure why else he laughed. I, I, I couldn't take hearing the rest of the story, so I told my mom to stop, but... <laughs> But I remember, like, and I remember we had a parent-teacher conference, the whole deal, I'm not going to bore you with all that. So it was, it was like, I, I remember, like, feeling super bad, and I knew I was in huge trouble. But I remember after my parents met with, 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 with the bishop, I remember my parents met with the, the priest, and we, like, we got home, I mean, with the teacher, I'm sorry, and then we got back home, I don't remember getting punished. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying parents, I'm, not, I'm just saying, but I remember feeling like, I feel like, like I should deserve a punishment. There should be something coming my way. There should be some type of punishment. I should be disciplined. You know, no more Sega Genesis, whatever. I, I did it myself, but it's okay. That, that's a, it was a video game thing in the back. So I was like, maybe I, my game gear is going to be taken away from me. I, like, I, I felt like something was going to come, but nothing. And I remember that was probably the first time. I didn't understand it then, but looking back now, I remember that was the reaction, emotional response I had to grace. That I deserve to be punished. I did something wrong. I felt that, that was what justice was. But my parents knew how to deal with me, and they knew they could see the guilt inside of me. 
but they decided to respond to me in a certain way and not punish me. And I remember feeling that was grace. And now me looking back at that, that's what my Heavenly Father does to me. He sees that I do stupid mistakes. And sometimes I do, he does need to kind of like pinch me, to kind of correct me, out of his love for me. But other times he says, I see that you're struggling. It's okay, you got this. I love you. Get up. Come here and give me a hug. Enough of my story. Here's the story of what Jesus gave to drill the same message to some early Christians. And Jesus, Jesus loved to give stories, which we know as parables, and people love to hear stories. They didn't really understand everything about the story, but they just loved hearing the story when Jesus says, okay, come on, gather around, the story time. And Jesus began his story like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. So it was hard for people to understand. Well, even till today, it's hard for us to understand the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom, God, heaven, ah, we want to understand it. So Jesus would give it to him in this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is like the daily currency for pages. Let's make it a dollar. It's not really, but let's make it a dollar. He agreed to pay them a dollar for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So Jesus now is painting a picture, telling them a story for them to understand how heaven is like. So he says, okay, this is what heaven's like. Imagine there's an owner that owns like a vineyard and he's now hiring workers to take care of it. And he says, okay, I'm going to pay you guys a buck for, for, for work in the land. And you, you know, you do your thing. I'm the boss and you report to me. And, and, and this is how it's going to go. This is what Jesus is painting a picture of what heaven is like. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. So, so the landowner is seeing some people kind of just hanging around. You know, they don't have a job. He says, hey, you know, you know if you want a job, here. I'll pay you at the end, but it, I, I'll pay you your salary. But here's some work if you need to work. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and, and did the same thing. So the vineyard found three, like, at about three in the afternoon. It's already past lunch break. He sees other people. Hey, you want to work, you want to work some, a couple hours today for some cash? About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He said to them, hey, you also go and you work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to this foreman, call the he said, he told his assistant, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the, 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 the owner, the manager is telling his assistant, okay, okay, it's, you know, it's coming, time to clock out, tell everyone to come in, bring, bring all the workers and, from, and, and, and line them in order from the ones that just started to work at 5 p.m., then the ones that came at 3, the ones that came before lunch, the ones that started early in the morning, bring them in that order and bring them. If you know the ending of the story, and if you are like me, you don't like this story. You don't like this story. I do not like this story. This is why. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received their, their daily wage. They, they each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Like, imagine now they're all in line waiting to get their cash. And the guy that came at 5 p.m., they got a denarius. And the people behind them, they came at 3. And then the guys in the back, they came at 9 a.m. They're like, oh, baby, this is payday. Like, if the guy that just came at 5, that been working for 45 minutes, he's getting a denarius. Man, like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to go on vacation after this. They're thinking they're really going to get what's justice, what's right. Is this guy got a dollar? Man, I'm going to get, you know, 40 bucks. 
So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day? But he answered one of them, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair with you, my friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. And I'm sure as the landowner is saying, I want to give you the same as I give the others. They're probably thinking, you give. We're the ones that worked, man. We're the ones that worked our buns off. We deserve more than that. We're the ones that put that, that rolled up our sleeves and sweated all day. It's what? Well, it's, it's, it's mine. And the landowner, who Jesus is giving the story, making him the landowner in the story, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And here's the part that makes us uncomfortable. This is the part that makes us unsettled when we hear, when we try to understand grace. Or are you jealous because I am generous? Are you jealous? Are you envious because of how I deal with my, my workers? Who are you to determine that? Who are you to determine how much each person is to get? You define justice this way, but who are you? This is my vineyard. I asked you to come and work on it. Who are you to make that call? Do you know why I hate this story? I came to church early. I learned the hymns. I was faithful. I didn't do this in college when I saw my other dorm, my roommates doing this. I decided to stay faithful. I was the one that was serving in church when they were going out bar hopping on Thursday. That I, I should get more. This story does not make me feel good. But this is how my heavenly father works. It's not for me to judge. It's not me to define justice. It's not me to define fair. We compare to determine what's fair. We compare to determine what's fair. But grace does not compare. Grace does not compare. That's why at the end of this parable, this is why Jesus told them, sometimes it's going to feel like the last are first. Sometimes the first are actually last. And this completely flipped their mind. I'm sure this made them a little bit uncomfortable after this story that Jesus gave. We define justice in one way. But justice to God is completely different. This is why people who are nothing like Jesus liked him because of that grace. And grace is the center of who we are. Grace is the center of who our Savior is. Grace is, 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 what, is what the church should be. And going back to our apostolic succession, this is why we call our church hierarchy. We say that we, the, the formal term that ancient Christianity uses is, is saying, you know, her, your grace or his grace, because they are supposed to reflect the grace of God. They, that they are the icon of Jesus to us. And we are called to be that just the same as they are. We're called to extend grace. Yes, I know it's unsettling. Well, they deserve this. Yes, I know. But you're not, you're not to make that call because Jesus didn't make that call. This seems unfair. The guy that showed up at work at 5 p.m. is getting paid the same. The guy that's been there since 6 a.m., that's unfair. But who are we to make that call? 
Who are we to make that call? This is how Jesus looks at us, with love and beyond the way we like to label things. And it's hard. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't expect it, but it's the best feeling in the world. I had the best feeling in the world when I was in, sixth, when I was in second grade, and I didn't get punished. It was the best feeling. And it's the best feeling when we understand and understand the grace of how God works with us. That God wanted to make grace super clear that he personified grace into a human being who is full grace and full truth. That when he saw sin, he called it sin. But he always embraced grace. And he says, I don't care what other people are calling you. I don't care, you chief, class, chief tax collector, that's great. You've been here since 5 p.m., that's great. You've been here since 6 a.m., come, come. I'm the one that discerns what's justice. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Because my grace is immeasurable. You are limited. I'm unlimited. Jesus is asking us, are we willing to give to others what we do not deserve? Are we willing to, to, to extend grace? Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's unsettling. Yes, it seems unfair. Are we willing to extend that to others the same way our Heavenly Father extends that to us? Let's end it for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. At least for me, God, grace just seems like just a, a, a big churchy word that we just kind of throw around left and right without even understanding. And maybe for a lot of us, it might be hard because our upbringing might have just been 100% truth without understanding what grace looks like. But that God, that you made grace very clear to us to the point that you came down and Jesus came to give us story after story and through his life itself, himself, that he showed us what grace looks like. And that gift that you have given us is immeasurable and beyond our logic, beyond any labels or boundaries that we can put in our mind. The way we view what's fair and just is very limited. It's by comparison. But you who are above that, no one compares to you. Your love can't be compared to anything, and your grace cannot be compared to anything. God, give us the clarity to embrace that so we can extend that to others. Because this is what made ancient Christianity so irresistible. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.